0: And you know your enemy, you can win a hundred battles. If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you can win a hundred battles. This was actually penned in 400 BC by a Chinese strategist general named Sun Tzu in a book called The Art of War, a book which would not be translated into French, then English until the 19th and 20th centuries. And the full text of the proverb, as it appears in chapter 3 of that book, is this. So it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you can win a hundred battles without a single loss. If you only know yourself but not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. So it's in that spirit of knowing ourselves and knowing our enemies that we come to the word of God today. What does God have for us regarding knowing ourselves and knowing our enemy? That's our question. And maybe, do you know what it is like? Have you ever had that experience of being baffled uh, because you just weren't ready or you didn't know your enemy? You didn't know kind of what was happening? Um, It happens to me all the time when I get behind the wheel. And here's, here's how it works. A few weeks ago, I was on the South Shore, and I thought, praise God, it's time for me to go home and get back to the North Shore. Typically, going through the city is an okay thing to do, but I did not know my enemy that night. So as I'm coming up 93 through the city, it's 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night, I think, I got this thing down, I'm cruising home, zip, zip, zip. And as I'm coming out of the tunnel, in onto the Zeka, and we come to that, you know, that crisis point, I don't know if it happens to you, but you decide Route 1 or 93. Which one? Of course, Route 1 is closer, but you just never know. It's such a brilliant piece of highway engineering, that Route 1, that you just wonder, will it work tonight? (laughs) So I'm coming to that moment of anxiety, heading over the hump of the Zakem, thinking, am I going to take that exit on Route 1 or not? And I'm like, I'll just do it. Of course it makes more sense. It's logical. It's logical. Route 1 should be shorter. So I get on Route 1, and as soon as you get around that curve thing, all of a sudden, what I see, but a sea of red. Why? Of course, that was 10 o'clock at night. The Bruins game had just let out. Which, now this is what's crazy is, I had 98.5 on. I was listening to the recap of the game. And of course, it's summer, which means that that the Tobin Route 1 is down to one lane every night. So you got one lane trying to go over this thing and the whole Bruins traffic trying to come over. I was baffled. I did not study my enemy the traffic of Boston, and it threw me for a loop. So, Lord, <laughs> what do you have to teach us? Last week, you know, we had this clarion call for purity, and um, we had a yes, Lord, in our hearts, and now we want to work on the mechanics of that purity. So as we look at Romans 7, and I purposely waited on reading this together because we're going to read it a little differently today. As we look at Romans 7, verses 7 to 25, we come to this question or we come with the question, Lord, what do you want to teach me about my enemy? What do you want to teach me about myself? In other words, help me dissect the anatomy of kind of sin and sinfulness in my own heart so that I can better serve you. We, we take the advice of Sun Tzu and say, if we'll know our enemy, we'll be able to win a hundred battles. Amen? Okay. Let's try that again. Amen? All right. I know we're many, but I, I want to still be mighty. Can we still be mighty today? Okay. There we go. Here's the church on fire, church alive. So so to help me do this, I'm going to invite four of our actors. We need to know who the four actors are in this battle. So I'm going to invite them up, and I'm going to introduce them to you. Watch out. Okay, let me introduce to you a few friends here that we need to know. First of all, we have the law, the law. Yes, you can clap for her. Come on. The law. We have our Hebrew resident and expert uh, expert resident Johnny uh, gave us some Hebrew letters. Johnny, anyone want to tell us what that means right now? Yeah, go ahead. Shema. Okay. Thank you. We'll we'll uh, we'll take with it the Ten Commandments. How's that? Praise God. Okay, then we have, and this is an order of appearance, of course. Then we have um, uh, sin. <laughs> Watch out. Okay, and then we have the sinful nature. <laughs> Perhaps translated in your version as the flesh, right? It's our rebellious nature, it's our carnal nature, it's the flesh, our sinful nature. And lastly, we have I, or our mind. Right. Or our inner man. OK, this is the party that's redeemed and does good. A little timid today, but is good and is redeemed. OK. OK. <clears throat> Let's walk through this passage and what we're asking God is God, give me knowledge about my enemy and about myself so I can win battles. OK, here we go. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Because apart from the law, sin is dead. Once, I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment, or the law that was intended to bring life, actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, The law is holy, she's righteous, the commandments holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this principle at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, in me, in my inner man, in my mind, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members what a wretched man i am who will rescue rescue me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord amen thank you lord hold on <laughs> so i just got touched right there thank you god so I I, uh, I find my so then I myself in my mind. Here's our conclusion. I, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in a sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. All right, let's give it up for these guys. Praise the Lord. Tough predicament to be in, isn't it? But thanks be to God, there's hope today. And actually, maybe I'll just kind of begin with the end in mind, and saying, "Here's here's my thought. Here's my goal today. I think that by God getting us acquainted with our enemy and ourselves, and kind of dissecting for us so so kind of in high detail in Romans seven, how it all works, that I, I'm going to we're going to gain three things. So if you're looking at your blue sheet, I've gone right to the bottom, actually. We're going to gain three things today by looking at this. The first is, we're going to get clarity on what we need from God, or clarification. Clarity on what we need from God. As you see how you, your inner man, interacts with the sinful nature in response to the law and sin, you're going to start to get clarity. That's my prayer. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will start to communicate to you, My prayers to the Holy Spirit will begin to apply to you the truth of this passage so you can start to unlock, wow, this is how this works in me. You know, in my own soul, in my own navigating through life, I see what happens. So we're going to get some clarity. The second thing we're going to get is this, and that is, we're going to get delivered from condemnation. Anyone up for a little deliverance today from condemnation? Come on, deliverance from condemnation. And let me just jump ahead and say this. When I read these words, I remember very distinctly as a middle school student, these words coming to me and kind of making sense to me for the first time. And my reaction was a reaction of great relief. I had a great sense of relief. Now that's because, and I'm different ones of us are kind of different places on the spectrum, but I'm what some people call a high conscience person. I've kind of spun up in anxiety a lot. So as soon as I realize I'm not performing up to snuff, I get anxiety. And so when I read, you know, I was figuring out in my Sunday school classes that Paul was kind of a big deal, right? He had planted a few churches. He seems pretty central to the whole redemptive story of humankind. God used Paul. When I realized this man who's a big deal seemed to have a pretty intense struggle, man. I just felt a whole lot better. So, that's the second thing that's going to happen today is we're going to be delivered from some condemnation. In fact, if you'd like to sneak ahead to next week, you can read Romans 8 1. I'm not going to say it right now because I want to save it to later, but Romans 8 1 is such good news. Okay? And thirdly, the last thing there is you're going to get hope. We're going to get hope for that rescue. Okay? Paul just ended this part by saying, um, you know, thanks be to God, or, you know, who, let's see, let me just do it. Uh, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We will all come to the conclusion that the law, as beautiful as she is, and as wonderful as she is written in Hebrew, and we love the Ten Commandments, and they're so helpful, we're going to realize that that is not what can actually rescue us and make us obedient. It's something else. Again, I'll keep you in suspense till next week, if you don't mind. Okay, so let's walk through, knowing that that's where we're headed. We're headed towards more clarity. We're headed towards deliverance from condemnation, and we're headed to hope for this rescue. Let's go through bit by bit and unpack uh, this section of Romans 7 a little bit, okay? Okay. I, I'm going to start right there in 7b. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But... Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity... Of, actually, I'll stop right there. We'll start at 10. So first we notice, what is the purpose of the law, Right? The law is the standard that helps tell us the difference between right and wrong. It's what we need so we know. It's our tutor, is what Paul calls it. And then, wouldn't you know, Jesus comes along. Okay? The law ultimately exposes our hearts. But then Jesus comes along, right? And and he really gets it, right? If you're familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Hey, you know the law is don't commit adultery. But you know what? I say if you even look at someone lustfully... You're committing the same sin. We know what the law says. It says don't murder. And I'm telling you, if you have hate in your heart, then it says if you've committed murder. The law says don't break your oaths. It says keep your vows. You know what I'm saying? Just be pure in your heart and just say yes or no and then do it. You know, be a person of integrity. The law says that you are allowed to give retribution, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? We can be fair here. But Jesus says, you know what? I want to get after your heart. I actually want you to yield. I want you to yield to other people. And finally, he said, the law says, love your neighbor. But you know what I'm saying? I'm adding to the law, and I'm saying, you need to love your enemy. Love your enemy. So the law. And, you know, when Jesus said this, he said, your righteousness actually needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You've got to be really good. What's he saying? Jesus is pointing out to us, But the law does, and the law is our tutor. It serves to expose our hearts, and it serves to tell us that, man, we need a major heart transplant. We need that rescue that Paul talks about at the end. So especially with Jesus' additions, quote-unquote, to the law, or maybe his clarifications to the law, we see that our hearts are exposed, our sinfulness is exposed. Uh, Let me start again at 10. Uh, 10, 11, and 12 here. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life, right? That's, that's the whole deal with the Ten Commandments. They're, they're designed to bring us happiness and life. You know that we're, we're more happy if we're not idolaters. We're more happy if we don't lie. We're more happy if we don't commit adultery. We're more happy if we honor our mother and our father. We're more happy if we don't covet other people's stuff. So it's intended to bring life. But, of course, what happens? We all experience it, right? The law says don't commit adultery. In our hearts we find ourselves overcome by lust, or the law says don't lie, then all of a sudden we want to, because of our insecurities, we want to cover up certain things and we lie. So the very commandment that was intended to bring life it actually brought death because sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. It deceived me. And here it's really helpful to know how does sin work? How does Matt and his sinister cape there, how does he do what he does? He does it by deceiving. He does it by deceiving. And so we think of John 8, where Jesus went at kind of great length to share, hey, this is how the enemy works. He says, first of all, the devil is a murderer. And second of all, he's a liar. Okay? First of all, he's a murderer. And second of all, he's a liar. So you can guarantee that any time we sin, that A, it's bringing death, Right? We think it's going to satisfy us, but actually what it ends up doing is leaving a, a swath as wide as, you know, the tornado through more there, this E5, it leaves this tornado of destruction right in our souls, right? We sin because we're deceived, and it, it lends in death. And, um, sorry there, my second point is, and, and, and how it works is deception, right? We think that something will be satisfying, but in the end, it leaves a terrible gap in our hearts and our lives. So that's how the enemy works. And, and Paul just wanted to communicate this to us, that, that sin deceives us. So through the commandment, I'm put to death. That's the very end of 11. But Paul reiterates here in verse 12 that the law is holy, right? The commandment is holy. Don't commit adultery, that's holy. Don't commit idolatry, you know, have no other gods before me, that's holy. It's righteous, it's good. Did that which is good then become death to me, verse 13, by no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. It's like what the law does is the law just provides the contrast that we need. Otherwise, we just kind of flow into mission drift. You know, to use an organizational term, I know when I forget Like, when I just have forgotten because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, because of the culture, when I forget that sin is sin, I just kind of mission drift, and then I think certain things are okay, right? You know, we prayed for the executive department, or the executive branch of our government. I think some of these things going on in the Department of Justice, things going on with the IRS and the Treasury, things going on with um, uh, the State Department, kind of back, what happened in Benghazi, all that, you know, God's the judge, I'm not, and I pray for all those people because I know that if I was in charge of these things, I would probably be prone to sin as well. So it's not coming out of my heart as judgment, but what I want to mention is is that somehow in our culture, we've lost the black and whiteness of sin and not sin. And so that's what we see happening. When I'm watching what's happening on Capitol Hill, I just think a bunch of words and a bunch of gray. We've lost the distinction of this is right and this is wrong actually wrong to lie, you know? It just doesn't work and stuff like that. It's kind of like many years ago, 20, I was getting my private pilot license, and I loved it. And so before you get your license, you have to do a cross-country, which means you have to do the triangle of three airports. Mine was from Norwood to Albany, New York, to Bridgeport, Connecticut, back to Norwood, Mass. And in particular, coming from Albany to Bridgeport, Bridgeport is one of these classic airports with a triangle uh, configuration of runways. they got runways that kind of go three ways. But finances being what they are in, in, in the world, one of those runways was shut down. Only two were in service. Now Bridgeport's also really interesting in that it has a control tower, but it has no radar. So you're talking to someone in the control tower, but all he has use of is his natural eyesight. <laughs> so as he just kind of used it, he's just really kind of a negotiator between the people who are coming and going. So he's helping me by calling out this aircraft's here, this aircraft's there, and this one's there. And I'm just thinking, I don't see any of the aircraft you're calling. I'm getting nervous because, you know, it's like I'm coming close here. I'm about a mile out and 500 feet. You know, this is short. And then finally I realize as I'm coming up to, to, you know, not that far from landing that I'm about to land on a slab of concrete with giant X's on it. In other words, I'm about to land on that run, run right the one runway that is not in use anymore. And so, you know, I just kind of, snuck out, got back into the pattern where I was supposed to be. But my point is this, is that it wasn't until I got close and I saw these X's that jumped out at me and I realized, I'm in the wrong place. I am very far off and this is bad. <laughs> you know, There's loss of life and property that, that could happen here. So this is what the law does. It's those giant X's on the, on the well now it's an unused runway. It shows us how far off we are. That's what the law does. I didn't, I didn't, um, I lived, just so you know, yeah. I, I, I landed. <laughs> I landed on a real runway. That was a blessing to everyone. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. Now let's go into this litany. What a wonderful litany. And it's the place where Paul twice uh, just describes the tension that he lives in. A tension that I believe, if any of us are honest in here, we all live in. Right? He says, verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, but I, excuse me, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Wow, I cannot carry it out. Mm. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Okay, a few observations today. And, um, wow, praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> the first is I already mentioned, and that is, I hope... Man, I just, as I mentioned to you, as a, as a 13, 14-year-old, I had a tremendous sense of relief um, reading this passage. Now, what all the theologians debate about is how current this was for Paul. In other words, Paul's writing, this is a letter to the Romans. It's one of his more mature letters. It's, it's towards the end of his ministry. And so what people who like to debate, debate about is, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> we need them. Thank you, Lord. Uh, they like to debate about, you know, how current was this? Was this Paul as a mature believer, really wrestling through this stuff still? Or was he hearkening back to 10, 20, 30 years before as an immature believer? You know, I don't, I don't know what to say there except, uh, you know, we'll find out in heaven. It would be great to interview Paul and say, how current was this? But again, the thing I want to say is, <laughs> it brings me a whole lot of relief, you know? It makes me feel like, ah, oh, I'm not the only one. You know what I'm saying? There's some of that for all of us. Thank you, Lord. I'm... I'm not the only one kind of wrestling here on the inside. And I want to just pull out for us three of the uh, kind of conclusions that Paul makes here. Because in his um, kind of articulating this wrestling match going on in the inside of him, he pulls out some, some things that are important. And the first, and they're, they're 16, 18, 20, verse 16, verse 18, 20. So let's do verse 16 first. Verse 16, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I agree that the law is good. Man, that's a relief. In other words, there's a part of you, we can say there's your inner man, you know, your, your, your spirit's been redeemed. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a part of you that wants to do God's will. I'm speaking to some of us in this room who are so discouraged by our own struggles, so frustrated by just your own, uh, perhaps, inability to conform or obey, to say, you know what, the good news is, is that, you know, First John says it this way, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, right? So even if you just feel your dull, dull dullness, as we mentioned last week in our, in our Things for Purity, maybe you just mention, maybe you feel like the dullest dull of all dulls, there's a light inside you, Okay? The Spirit of God lives inside you, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, okay? And he does want to. You saw it vividly portrayed by Matt, our inner man, saying, I do delight in God's law. There's a place that delights in God's law. You know, otherwise, you wouldn't really be anxious, right? But produces the anxiety in you because of your disobedience, because there is this thing inside you saying, I'm longing to obey. I'm longing to believe. I'm longing 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. This may be the harder one for this generation to believe, or this may be the harder one for our culture to receive, right? I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, in my sinful nature. Nothing good lives in me. Matt Newby just mentioned to me, I'm, I'm not aware of this uh so I won't speak to it greatly. But Matt, New, Matt Newby mentioned to me uh, that the you know something kind of t- trending in the social media is comments by the Pope. And I guess the current Pope said something to the effect of, hey, even an atheist can be redeemed if he does good deeds. Is that the essence of it? That's the essence, right? But of course, there's a lot of inquiry saying, Pope, what do you mean by this, right? It flies in the face of what we see here in verse 18. And I just... Can I just share with you as a parent of small kids? Man, when you have small kids, you'll start to see see the sinful nature, right? And I can tell you, (laughs) I can tell you some of the sweetest moments that Kelsey and I have had. I don't really want to uncover my son, but there are moments when my son seems unable. Like, you see this in action because he's literally unable to obey. We'll visit the same thing. One, like in in seven minutes, a seven-minute time span, we'll visit the same misbehavior Three times in a row. But can I tell you how sweet it is? And we have him pray. We say. We have him repeat after us. Lord help me to obey. Because I'm actually. It's actually uh, uh, an incredible. Holy. uh, Convicting moment as a parent. When you're watching your own carnal nature. Because he's just a chip off the old block. Honestly. And I'm watching. My own own carnal nature kind of reproduced. Forty years younger. And I'm watching it unable to obey. And that's what this is saying, right? I, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. Sorry, yeah, okay. Um, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, right? Nothing good lives in me in my sinful nature. Your flesh, my flesh, and Paul says it elsewhere. I think he's about to say it in Romans 8 again. We cannot, our flesh cannot obey God, which is exactly why we need the rescue from um, the Spirit of God. Okay. And then verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is not an abdication. You know, there's that old expression, the devil made me do it, usually used as a way of excusing oneself from sin. But really, Paul is just recognizing, uh, you know, that the carnal nature really is a beast. (laughs) And, And it's always at work in rebellion against God. Let me continue in 21 and make a few other notes. This is actually great. So usually we have a little clock right here to tell me how I'm doing. I don't have the clock right now, so watch out. I could just, I just keep. Oh man, we're doing so well. This is great. We're gonna have an extended, we're gonna have a little extended worship and body time here because I'm I'm about done. I'm, I didn't intend for it to be sermon light. I guess it just came out light. Thank you, Lord. But everyone say praise the Lord. <laughs> you guys are like praise the Lord. Okay. Okay. 21. So I find this a lot work. And he's just summarizing it. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Right? You remember Matt uh, Schilling and Renee. Yeah, they were yoked together there by that rope. Right? Well, I find this law lot work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I do delight in God's law. Right? I love coming down. I don't know about you. I love our repenting times. I love coming down. And say, Lord, I love you. I want to be yours. Right? Ten minutes later at Lunch, I find myself all carnal and fleshly, you know? Maybe it's just me. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, in my inner man, in my mind, in my heart, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am. What a wretched man. I want to just add a comment here, um, and just fill in from... Um, I, I believe that John Eldridge, you know, I know he can be polarizing, but I've, his comment on this verse, I believe, is really helpful right now. And that is, he says, too many of us walk away from this passage and just take that on as our identity. What a wretched man that I am. You know, here I am caught in the struggle between holy and my carnality, my flesh, my rebellion. And some of us just take that on as like, that's it. Like, what a wretched man that I am, period. Identity. I'll just be miserable for the rest of my life and not really try to get free from sin, right? Why even try? I'm just a wretch. The word in Hebrew means wretched, right? <laughs> it means miserable. It means distressed. I'm going to stay distressed and miserable the rest of my life. And I believe we miss the point there. It is a wretched state. I, I would probably say it's probably the better way we should translate that today is what a wretched state it is. You know, it is hard, and we know that. We, we're familiar with the... Um, with just the frustration of of dealing with our own rebellion. But better than saying, what a wretched man that I am, better to say, what a wretched situation I find myself in. Because of what is about to come in Romans 8. Because of the truth we're about to get washed with in Romans 8 next week. It's a wretched situation, but we are not wretches. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, sorry, law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So. <clears throat> we do have some time this morning to allow the Lord to speak to us, to clarify, to deliver and to give hope. So I'm going to invite Jenna actually to come on back and. Um, and we're going to wait on the Lord for a second. Because that, again, was my hope in, 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 in preparing this this message, is that God, you know, this message need applied to the specific anatomy of your soul. In other words, you know where you wrestle with sin. You know, or maybe you don't, and maybe that's where you need to ask me to ask, Lord, where, you know, how does my rebellious nature, how does my carnal nature, how does it, how does it interact here? So we'll, we'll give the Lord a moment to work on us that way. I think the thing I want to say also is... Um, the thing that we are not caught in, so what's coming to my mind right now is just that picture of yin and yang, you know, wonderful uh, Asian um, uh, framework of reality. They're just yin and yang. They're just good and bad, right? There's evil and good and, you know, kind of the Star Wars. that They just, you know, evil and, and, and good uh, just have to w- face off against each other. I mean, the reality is, is that the balance, you know, the scale is way tipped in favor of the Lord because of, what we're about to discover next week in Romans 8. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as you wait on the Lord, I just want to make sure that you're not left with that framework of, oh my gosh, um, all it is is good versus evil, and they're two co-equal forces. Because actually we know that God, <laughs> like he's the, cre- he's the one who is uncreated. The devil and all that's evil is created, right? They're always inferior. They will never win, okay? Jesus in you is the hope of glory, and he will triumph. Amen? There's a, there's a journey you're on. There's a journey I am on. But we are made to be overcomers. You will overcome. Eventually, you will overcome. Now, let's pray for it now. Let's overcome sooner rather than later, you know. It's, I mean, honestly, just to be real frank, it's, um, you know, it gives me fire when I'm with college students, and college students are wrestling with stuff. And I usually say, don't end up like me. Deal with this stuff now because it's a lot easier now at 20 than it is at 40. So I say, hey, let's let's deal with stuff now. Because we can. But you're made to overcome. You're made to deal with it now and overcome. Amen? Okay. Let's just wait on the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And then um, I'll lead us into our ministry time. Thank you. Where the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you for that truth. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I ask, Holy Spirit, I, I believe we've already been doing it just as we've interacted with the Word because it's God's Word. You're already at working in our hearts. You're already uncovering one of those dark, sinister places that, um, that are in us, God. You're already exposing the carnal nature, our flesh, that part that cannot obey the voice of God. It's it's actually just not able to do so. So Holy Spirit, I'm just inviting you to please help each person here apply the truth of God's word to their specific situation in this moment. Even now, I bet you'd be able to sort out in each of our hearts, what is law? Like what is actually good commandment that we're trying to obey? What is sin? You know, just that missing of the mark, that rebellious, anti-God force, so personalized by Paul in his epistles. And what in us is the sinful nature? You know, what is that carnal, rebellious thing that doesn't want to comply? And Lord, what is the good of the eye, the mind, the inner man, that the redeemed spirit that... Wants with all of it its energy to obey the living God and love Him and serve Him and sort it out for us, Lord. I pray indeed you'd be doing these three moves in our congregation today. You'd be clarifying what we need from God, you'd be delivering us from condemnation. Lord, I break the power of condemnation. We just recognize the one-two punch of the devil. First, he lures us into sin, boom, and then he nails us to the condemnation. And we just resist the condemnation because the whole reason that, God, you give us this in-depth look at the anatomy of our sinfulness is so we can receive the love of God, so we can be overcomers, so we can win the hundred battles that Sun Tzu talked about. And, Lord, I pray for hope today. Lord, where ones are struggling with sin, I pray for fresh hope today. We can give thanks to our God in Jesus Christ because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, just at a fresh level, we want to recite and receive the mysterious truth of Galatians 2.20. just want to speak it over us. For I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The same God who alerts us to our problems is the God who's died for us and loves us. We just receive them. Thank you, Lord.